Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to today's podcast of Chef Special on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I am your host, Patrick Honeywell. Today's special guest is Tish Boyle. Tish is a managing editor of Pastry Arts Magazine and an experienced food writer, cookbook author, pastry chef, and recipe developer. Her previous books include Chocolate Passion, Diner Desserts, The Good Cookie, and The Cake Book. Let's check in with Tish. Hello, Tish Boyle. Welcome to the show today. Patrick, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, quite excited to be here to talk uh, about me. <laughs> I love it. Hey, well, that's why you're here, and I'm so happy to have you here. It's an honor. You know, I've been following you for quite a while. You've got a lot of followers, a lot of fans. But for the listeners out there that maybe haven't had a chance to get to know you better, can you take a few moments to talk about your history a little bit and, yeah, your experiences? Sure. Yeah, I uh, I got into, uh, I was always into baking as a kid, learned from my mother, and loved to pipe out cookies and make disgusting cakes, all sorts of things when I came home from school. So um, yeah, in uh, after high school, I thought about going to cooking school, but my parents talked me into going to a liberal arts college, which I did. Mm-hmm. I got my degree in English, and then I happened to be, I, I went to Smith College in Massachusetts, a liberal arts school, and uh, happened to be there at a party at the museum, and I met Julia Child and her husband. Wow. And I asked her, I took the opportunity and I, I asked her um, what cooking school she thought I should go to. And she suggested a school in Paris, La Varenicole de Cuisine. And six months later, I had packed my bags and I was living in Paris and uh, going to cooking school there. And I loved every single second of it. Hmm. So that's how I got started. Did the program there for nine months. Mm-hmm. Then the day after graduation, packed my bags. I had a job on a luxury barge down in Burgundy cooking for 21 passengers, seven crew, six-day tours in the French countryside, and it was tough. It really was. I Mm -hmm. think I was in a little bit over my head there. Did Mm -hmm. that for a season or so, and then came back to the States, did some catering, worked in a couple of French restaurants in New York, and then decided that, I think then I, I decided I really want to get into pastry. That's my that's my niche. Okay. So um, got a job for uh, Club Med working in uh, Sandpiper uh, Resort in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I was a pastry cook. We served about up to a thousand people a day, buffet style, all French pastries. Mm-hmm. That was a great learning experience. But I think that was the experience that, that told me, you know, lifting these 50 pounds sacks of flour. This oh is just really tough on your body and uh, there's got to be a better way. So that's when <laughs> I decided to, I went back to New York, started working for CPC Foods Freelance in their test kitchen, Hellman's mayonnaise, Skippy peanut butter, Mazzola corn oil, all that stuff, developing recipes for the back of the box for consumers and loved every second of that. So that, that's when I sort of got a taste of, you know, a different side of the industry and what it had to offer. And from there, I went to Good Housekeeping Magazine, where I got a job as an associate editor of the food department, eventually ended up as editor of Chocolatier Magazine, which was a consumer magazine. And that sort of brought everything together, my love of pastry and chocolate 
and working for a magazine, developing recipes, articles. That was sort of my ultimate dream job, I think. Mm, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. And so now you're currently managing editor of Pastry Arts Magazine and Pastry Arts Magazine podcast that you've got. And I believe Pastry at Home, you've got a lot of great things going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Pastry Arts Magazine is a platform for people in the industry, professional chefs and pastry chefs and bakers, uh, chocolatiers. So we have that. It's a quarterly magazine. It comes out four times a year. It's a digital magazine. Uh, you can learn more about it at pastryartsmag.com. Mm-hmm. And we just started a brand new site called Pastry at Home, which is for um, home baking enthusiasts. Mm. And that is pastryathome.com. And we're very excited about that. I have a lot of great recipes on there. And we also feature recipes from new books. And there are a lot of great new books out this fall, great photography, and uh, really terrific recipes that are well tested. So on top of that, we're also going to be doing a baking summit Uh, a virtual baking summit uh, with over 30 videos. You'll find out more about that. There will be um, a standalone site for it. It's not up yet, but you can Mm -hmm. learn more about that at pastryartsmag.com and you can get a free four-day pass. You don't have to give a credit card or anything like that. Just put in your email address and you can get a four-day free pass to watch all of these videos, which will be all about uh, baking for the holidays. Got you. Wow. So the pastry at home, because there's so many people are, are baking and cooking at home now, Tish. Is it pastryathome.com or what was the website? It is pastryathome.com. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And uh, it's only about a month and a half old. So it's, um, and you can submit your own recipe if you, you know, uh, it, it does have to have a nice photo. So if you um, fancy yourself a good photographer and home baker and you have something that you would like to share with the world, we will be featuring recipes from our uh, audience as well. There's a spot on there, submit a recipe. So go ahead and do that because um, you'll get a lot of exposure. That sounds great. You know, I, I could imagine there'd be quite a few people that would be interested in that baker's uh, professional and, and also people from home, but they might end up cheating Tish a little bit. They might say, you know what? I heard that Tish is an author, a cookbook author, happens to have about 10 baking pastry books, everything from cookies and cakes to really fancy play desserts. They might just go in there and snag one of your recipes. Would you catch them or would you let it get go, go through? <laughs> <laughs> I probably wouldn't even know the difference, Patrick, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Okay, so if I if I do that, <laughs> if I do that, I can squeeze it in, and I'll you'll say, "Wow!" Oh, for really you, like absolutely, <laughs> sure, no problem. No, you get a free pass. <laughs> so yeah, so let's take a little look, uh, a stroll through your cookbook library. I was thinking that a pastry chef or somebody at home that loves to bake this is a this is a complete library. I think a reference library. You've got uh, a book on cakes called the Cake Book, cookies, which everybody loves cookies, and this is an amazing book, the Good Cookie. Diner desserts, which is interesting, you know, do you had a little story about the diner dessert? How, the, how did that book come about? Well, that was the first book that I did really on my own. And I love diners. I really mm. do. And mm. I love those. I mean, I was always as a kid mesmerized by those, you know, uh, mile high pies and mm-hmm. cakes. I thought it'd be kind of cool just to present a collection of recipes for some of my favorite 
diner desserts. Mm. And that's what this is. And we also had a photographer who went around to classic diners across the country and photographed them in black and white. Gosh, amazing. To accompany, yeah, the recipes. Actually, that book I think might be out of print by now. It's it's a few years old. I checked on Amazon. I think it might still be there, but it may be a private party, but we'll have to double check. Uh, My latest book actually is Flavorful, which is desserts in America's favorite flavors. So each Mm -hmm chapter is a different flavor. That is my latest book and that is still available and you can get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, pretty much anywhere. The great thing about that, you mentioned there's different chapters for different flavors. To, to know that you can go to a chapter and look up citrus and then, you know, different recipes that have citrus, nuts, you know, which is really awesome, caramel, chocolate, coffee, all these, apple, vanilla, all these different sections. So I'm, I'm imagining that you know, if you wanted to make apple, something with apple, you'd have the apple pie, you might have a turnover, a couple other things. It's just a fascinating setup where you have the, uh, to me, where you have the uh, chapters broken out into categories with different uh, things really represented well. Well, you know, it, it's funny because what I've noticed is you have your chocolate lovers and then you have your your lemon lovers. So those are two very strong camps. They don't necessarily, the the, the real chocolate lovers do not necessarily love lemon desserts and vice versa. So um, I, I am, I have to say, I love chocolate desserts, but I also love lemon desserts mm. and citrus desserts. So I'm, I kind of, you know, go back and forth between the two camps. And caramel, I mean, who oh, doesn't love caramel? Definitely. So um, I, thought, I thought that was kind of a good way to organize. Also, there is some seasonality in there. So, you know, in the fall, you look for the, the apple and pear desserts. And in the spring, you're looking at berries. I love that. This is just a great, great, uh, great book. Now, a couple last things on your books. Uh, That one's the most recent, but I was fascinated with your grand finales series for desserts because you thought, uh, or what what motivated you to do that? I know you worked on a Payard desserts book, you know, so famous, the uh, pastry chef. But I mean, you kick it up with these plated desserts and techniques and and you did something with cha- uh, some champions, I believe, or some of the competitive, uh, maybe the World Cup competitors? Oh, yeah. That, that was a book called uh, Plating for Gold. And it was featuring desserts from the World and National Pastry Team Championships, which used to, I think it stopped in 2012, but used to be a competition every two years with the best pastry chefs in the world would come together for this grueling three-day competition. Mm. And so that competition went on for, I'd, I'd say, about eight years or so. And so that book was devoted to the recipes and experiences and stories from that competition, as well as guidelines and tips from the best pastry chefs in the world about how to compose and put together a great plated dessert. We featured the plated desserts of those competitions, even though there were other things involved like showpieces and that that particular book was all about the plated desserts. If you're if you're a pastry chef, there's some, some good tips in there about how to compose a beautiful plated dessert. But the grand finale series we did back in the mid 90s, it's like ages oh. ago, but it was sort of groundbreaking because that was really a time when the the pastry chef, the American pastry chef was coming into their own and being celebrated more, coming out of the the shadows of the kitchen and standing on their own. So we went all over the country photographing 
desserts from the best pastry chefs in the country. And we, we wrote about those chefs, their stories, their inspirations, and we photographed their desserts and included the recipes. So that was, that was fun. That was, we did three books in that series. And I tell you, I, I still hear from people that they love those books. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> must've done something right. No, it's fantastic. And for you to, to share the pastry chefs, you know, behind the scenes and make them at the front of the scenes, it's really helpful for them, I think. And it makes them feel, I think, what they should feel in that special. So well, really yeah. Name out there. yeah. I mean, I think there is a tendency to be dismissive of the pastry chef in the context of the restaurant, almost like the pastry chef is an afterthought. And it really has taken a long time. And it it's still prevalent, um, that attitude. You know, the, the pace, it's funny because the pastry chef is just not considered to be on a par with a chef, even though I guarantee every pastry chef out there knows how to cook savory food well, but not every savory chef can do pastry. It's no. just very few of them can. So no, it's true. kind of uh, ironic that that's the case. But, well, the history, um, too, that I have, Tish, with working in hotels with some very good chefs, executive chefs, sous chefs, you know, banquet chefs, etc. They had a respect for pastry in that it intimidated them a bit because maybe when they went through school, if they did, they didn't take a lot of time in pastry as much. They, they lean towards, you know, the savory side. And so, you know, the science of it, the technique. So they, they were pretty darn respectful, at least to your face, you know. But I mean, it's true. I think the pastry chefs is kind of like, oh, yeah, there's the pastry department, you know, maybe, you know, but hopefully that's changing. Well, it, yeah, uh, unfortunately, in this current climate, it, it really is apparent. I mean, that's the first department to get cut because the restaurant can survive without a pastry chef. Uh, it won't survive at the same level, that's for sure. But they know they can bring in desserts from outside, from an outside source and survive without the pastry chef. But they can't do that without the executive chef. So I think that's part of it, which is really why you're seeing a lot of pastry chefs pivot now and you know either start selling their desserts themselves online or you know through delivery service or starting up their own businesses but it, it's a very difficult time for pace for the pastry industry as a whole that's so true especially now so let's do our own pivot let's pivot over to uh one of the main reasons why i wanted you here is to share pie tips with Tish. So I wanted to ask you, uh, do you have any idea how, where did pie start? I know there's a lot of different pies probably around the world that weren't necessarily a sweet pie, but what, where did pies come from anyway? From, from what I can discern, they go back as far as 2000 BC, which is pretty amazing if you think mm. about it. Uh, there was a, a tablet that was discovered uh, somewhere in Egypt that had a chicken pie recipe on it, <laughs> which no to me way. is fascinating. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, those those original pies looked nothing like the pies we, we know of today. They were much more like a galette, a flat kind of open face with a filling in the middle. So and they were probably savory at that point. But eventually, um, actually, the ancient Greeks uh, were the ones who brought in pie pastry as we know it. And by that, I mean, they had a, a flour and water paste and they introduced fat to it to give it that the same quality that we know of pie pastry today. So uh, so we're, we can be grateful to the Greeks for that. They evolved from there. And, you know, s- uh, sweet meats started being introduced. And then 
sugar and fruit, and it uh, turned in, it evolved into the uh, dessert we know today. So, you know, holidays are coming up. We've talked about that. I've always felt that, I mean, when you get ready for Thanksgiving and the family says, okay, I'm going to make the green bean casserole. I'll, I'll do the, the turkey. And then one or two people will say they might do the pie. So the pie, I think, is such a big part of the holidays. And it's important for someone at home that makes a pie that it really represents them well and is as good as they can make it. So I was hoping that you might have some pie tips that you share with us on the important things in making a pie. Well, I, I just want to start off with my first two tips are very general. Okay. I have, you know, th- my first tip is never try something for the holidays that you have not made before, at least once, preferably twice. I can't tell you how many phone calls I used to get at the magazine Chocolatier where people tried something for the first time and they ran into a problem for a big event and particularly not with a pie for Thanksgiving, because I mean, that's the big event for Thanksgiving, aside from the turkey. So you don't want to get that wrong. So that that's my number one tip. Uh, my number two tip, generally speaking, is don't try anything too out there, too untraditional, because for something like Thanksgiving, people want something pretty traditional, something that at least has some bearing on what they've known over the years and from childhood for dessert for Thanksgiving. So keep it pretty traditional. Pumpkin pie, pecan pie, apple pie, key lime pie, no chocolate glazed cranberry beet pie, okay? (laughs) It's just not gonna cut it. Okay, so those are my first two tips. And now I wanna get into some specifics. Pie crust, that's the most important part of the pie, I think. And you want it to have enough structure to support the pie, but you also want it to be tender and a little flaky. Cut your butter into cubes and freeze it for 15 to 30 minutes before adding it to the flour for your pie crust. Also, you can put your flour in the freezer and your bowl in the freezer. And you can even ice down your work surface, you know, to roll out the dough. And you do that, put some ice in some Ziploc bags and just let them sit there for, you know, 10 minutes until your work surface gets really cold. And that will buy you time if you're not fast with rolling out the dough, it will buy you some time so that the pastry doesn't um, break down. Pumpkin pie. This is my tip for pumpkin pie because I've made a lot of pumpkin pies in my, my day and my pies used to crack. And I finally figured out it was because I was over baking them slightly. So that can cause that big old crack You know, it's funny because your pie comes out of the oven and it's beautiful and then it's cooling and 15 minutes after it's been cooling for 15 minutes, all of a sudden this this chasm develops in the center of your pie and it's heartbreaking. So you need to bake it just until it's slightly wobbly and then take it out. It'll continue to bake with a residual heat. It will firm up as it stands with no cracks. Mm, So that's my big pumpkin pie tip. All right, number five for pecan pie. If you don't like a really cloying sweetness, you can add some shards of chocolate. And by shards, I mean, you know, take a a chunk of chocolate, use a serrated knife, like a bread knife, cut shards, cut it, cut it, 
with a serrated knife and shards will form. And add those to your pie. You could even add some bourbon and that will temper the sweetness a little bit. Now, do you think you'll have a little enough bourbon to put in that pie, Tish, after you've, you know, started? Uh, yeah, well, I, I would say um, do a few shots and then uh, <laughs> nobody will give a damn about, about the pie oh, at all. So. I was hoping you'd say that. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> all right. For apple pie, I suggest, you know, that nasty gap that appears between the layer of apples and the top crust. Well, I can't stand that. So pre-cook your apples on the stove with the sugar uh, and spices just until they're tender before you put them in the pie crust. Hmm. Cool them down and then drain off all but a quarter of a cup of the juice. Or if you want, you can just pour all that juice into a saucepan and reduce it to a quarter of a cup. That's even better because that's really going to intensify the flavor hmm. of the apples. Mm-hmm. And then add them to the apples and put them in the pie. And that way your apples won't shrink and leave that big gap in the filling. That makes so much sense, Tish. Wow. Okay. Another thing is, this is particularly true for pies that take a long time to bake, like Mm -hmm. a pumpkin pie, apple pie. You can get yourself an adjustable silicone pie crust shield, or you can just use a piece of tin foil or two pieces of tin foil put together to shield the edge of your pie so that it doesn't over brown. You can get these shields on Amazon though, and they're just really easy to use. But again, don't need them. You can use aluminum foil. That's fine. And if you want to get fancy, if you're getting better at this pie thing, you can use small fondant or aspic or cookie cutters to create designs in the top crust of a double pie, so like an apple pie. To do this, roll out your dough and chill it for about 30 minutes before cutting the the shapes out on top. And then you can transfer it to the... uh, Now, if it's taken you a long time to cut cut it out, you might have to refrigerate it again before you put it on top of the pie so that it retains its shape. Also, I just want to say something about rolling out the pie crust. What I do when I roll out my crust is I start from the center and I roll out and then I turn, so I've, I've lightly dusted my surface with, with flour. So each time I roll, I, I give it a quarter turn. Mm-hmm. And that way you, you have to keep the, the pie crust moving, the dough moving, so it doesn't stick to the surface. And that way you'll get a nice, even pie crust. It won't be thicker in one, one spot and thinner in another. So mm-hmm. keep it moving. All right. Tip number nine, to add depth of flavor to a pie that has melted butter in it. So, for example, a pecan pie or sweet potato pie, brown the butter on the stovetop before adding it to the mixture. Now, when you're browning it, so you're cooking it just till you get this nutty smell and you see like little brown particles start to form at the bottom of the pan. But make sure to melt extra butter because there's going to be some evaporation during the browning process. So remeasure it after you brown it. Gotcha. Okay, this is my last tip. Everyone has their own idea of, you know, the perfect pie crust. But basically, as I mentioned, you want something that's strong enough to give structure to the pie, but you also want it to be flaky and crisp and tender. So my favorite is an all butter dough that has a little, I add a little cider vinegar to it, which helps prevent the formation of gluten, which makes for a tough crust. And I also add a little baking powder 
to lighten it and give it a little lift. If you want, you can also sub in a few tablespoons of shortening for the butter to make the crust a little flakier, but you do sacrifice a little flavor when you do that. So I go for the all butter, but if you, you know, wanted to add some shortening for flakiness, you could do that. Well, Tish, these are amazing tips, and I have to let the audience or the listeners know that you did share a beautiful pumpkin pie recipe with me that I'm going to post, and it's really good. You have everything broken down so well. It is flavor, texture, flavor, texture. It jumps out at me, so I I appreciate that. Uh, Give me your contact information or give us the contact information where it would be best to get more uh, pie recipes. Well, you can certainly go to pastryathome.com. Okay. You can follow us on Instagram at, at pastry at home blog. And you can find me on Instagram at Tish underscore Boyle. I also have a website. Uh, that might be like way too much information. No, give more, <laughs> more, more. My Let's, website <laughs> is Tish hyphen Boyle.com. But uh, I would say go to the pastry at home.com uh, blog and uh, we're going to have lots of options for the holidays. We've got a vegan pumpkin pie. We'll have a regular pumpkin pie, pecan pie, apple pie, all sorts of things. So that's your go-to source. That sounds fantastic. Well, Tish, thank you so much for joining me today. And it's been an honor and fun. And I'm excited for the listeners to get a chance to learn more about you and reach out to you too. So thanks again so much for coming on today. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Patrick. Thanks for having me. For all of you listening out there, Chef Special is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check it out at Believe.com. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Patrick Honeywell. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.